Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily Beijen. And I am your other host, Margot Poupard. Well, Margot, it's Friday night. You're in sixth grade. And either you have the Disney Channel or your friend has the Disney Channel. What you gonna do? Definitely watch a Disney Channel original movie. Oh, Yeah. Uh, we are very excited to talk about today's subject. Um, I'm sure many of you who listen to our podcasts are very familiar with the Disney Channel original movies, otherwise known as DCOMs. We are going to be specifically talking about their heyday of the late 90s and early 2000s. So uh, I think we should upfront preface, we're not going to get into Xenon. We both love Xenon, but both firmly believe that the Xenon canon uh, universe, whatever you want to call it, the ZCU uh, deserves its own at least mini episode. Um, and we're not going to talk about High School Musical and all the subsequent musical movies because it's a little late. And, uh, you know, I think there's just been enough already done on it. I also didn't watch High School Musical. Please do not at me. I'm not going to. I think the clips are good enough. I understand the significance. I also have heard that High School Musical, the musical, the show on Disney Plus is supposed to be good. So maybe I'll look. I'll check that out. But I feel like I feel like High School Musical is a little bit past our time because by 2005, when they came out, the only reason I was watching Disney was because I was babysitting. It wasn't it wasn't like the magic around a Disney Channel original movie that you really look forward to or could just put on on a Saturday and get really into it suddenly. So it wasn't quite the same. Yeah, I watched it for nostalgia factor and because like I had friends talking about it. And then later, fun fact, my high school was one of the first high schools to put on the theater production of High School Musical because one of the lyricists who adapted it uh, was a graduate of my high school. So my sister actually played a cheerleader in my high school's production. So I was very familiar at the time, but uh, not particularly attached to them uh, as I am to the ones we'll be talking about today for sure. Oh, most definitely. Like Eric Von Detten. I was like, oh, right. Uh, I had a huge crush on you. What a and now <laughs> and now in rewatching this, I'm not certain why. <laughs> yes. That are, there is a little bit of that Disney Channel hot. hot you know what I mean? Like it's yes. like boy next it's a door. Non, approachable. Yes, Unthreatening, floppy-haired man who dresses uh, like they shop at PacSun exclusively. 100%. So I am going to give us a little bit of history around the Disney Channel original movies and Disney Channel because your girl loves to get into the pop culture history. First started airing as a channel on April 18th, 1983, so it just turned 38 a few days ago. 
Much like Nickelodeon and what we talked about during our game show episode, they spent the first couple of years on the air airing a lot of export TV from Canada and other places. The added addition is that they would also show classic Disney movies on the channel. The concept of the Disney Channel making original movies goes back as early as to 1983 with the release of the movie Tiger Town starring Roy Scheider. These movies were then known as Disney Channel premiere films, and from late 1997 onward, these films began being branded as Disney Channel original movies, otherwise known as DCOMs. This coincides with the time when the Disney Channel underwent a significant rebranding, shortening its name to just Disney Channel, and rolling out a lot more original kid-centric shows while maintaining family-centric programming in the evenings. This was obviously an attempt to compete with the absurdly popular Nickelodeon at the time, and additionally, Disney Channel went from being a premium channel add-on for cable packages to a default channel, meaning their viewership went up a ton. 35 million cable subscribers, to be specific. Um, You may remember this when we were little kids. Like, my parents sat us down, and they were just like, yeah, we're not paying for the Disney Channel. This is an absurdly expensive thing, and we didn't get the Disney Channel again until... Maybe like 1999, 2000 or something like I had to go to other people's houses for it. Yeah, it's all kind of like a blur because it definitely as somebody who spent a lot of time at other people's houses, um, <laughs> hard to to remember at when yes. we had it because there were also <laughs> certain moves where like we would have cable and then we would just sort of like spring for all of it or get one of those like trial periods where you just 100%. get the Disney Channel for like three months and then it disappears. Yep. So there's a lot of in and out, but I would I would probably am with you that I didn't actually get Disney again without some sort of scam kind of in between whether that scam is going to someone's house or only doing like a little three month free trial, probably till like 2000s. But then again, at a certain point, like totally dropped off of it, like maybe a year or two later, and then would only catch it at, again, other people's houses while babysitting. Totally. The first film to be released under the Disney Channel original movie banner was the Halloween movie Under Wraps in 1997. That following year, the Disney Channel would air You Lucky Dog starring Kirk Cameron. Yuck. Yeah. (laughs) I do remember that movie, though. (laughs) Halloween Town, which we've covered on one of our Halloween episodes, and your classic film, Margot Brink. Okay. Well, so I also, we were texting about this. I also rewatched, not research, because obviously I had to research in addition to writing this episode, but I rewatched both of the movies that I'm going to talk about today. And I have to say, other than the like early aughts lingo and some of the fashion, they hold up way better than I thought they would. Yes! They're like, right? They're like fun little time capsules that obviously they're not of me. I'm not, unfortunately, I'm not as cool as Gabriella in Brink, but I do, there are lots of memories associated with it, especially because, uh, I mean, I will get into it later, but I spent a lot of time also rollerblading where all of these kids rollerbladed, but I will point out that it was against my will. Okay. So Brink, I only have one question for you, Emily. When you woke up this morning, did you say to yourself, today I'm going to talk or today I'm going to skate? I don't know, brah. Well, you better shaka the fuck up because Brink was released August 1998 and was written by Jeff Schnechter and directed by Greg Beeman. Brink is the third Disney Channel original movie and it's set in Santa Monica slash Venice Beach, California. And it follows a group of two rival rollerbladers, loosely adapted from the Dutch book by Mary Mapes Dodge, Hans Brinker, or The Silver Skates, about a pair of silver skates Given as a prize of the ice skating race, but the book is probably most popular for the story about a little Dutch boy who plugs a dike with his finger. Also, if you watch the RuPaul Mark episode of Drag Race this season, you'll know this reference. Anyway, this book apparently introduced Americans to Dutch speed skating, which I assume this movie was supposed to do for rollerblading, what Hans did for skates and speed skating, and maybe Brink succeeds. I definitely spent many a divorced dad weekend with my dad and godfather rollerblading by the beach in Santa Monica. Only difference is that I never for one second thought it was cool and I never ever called it inline skating. Unlike Brink. Brink stars Eric Von Detten as the titular Andy, quote unquote, Brink Brinker, who is a high school inline skater who sells out so he can help his family. So here's like a, I'm going to go into some of the plot because unfortunately there's not a ton of like background info. Um, I wouldn't assume that there would be any sort of juicy goss from like a child Disney movie. You know, I had so, the same thing though for all my movies. I tried to dig in there, but like there were not many oral histories. 
Or even just places to really go. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like the interest in in it is to rewatch it, obviously, but also to recount some of the funnier plot points. I I can't tell. Would you watch any of these movies for our bad movie night? Like, I don't know if they're on that kind of scale, but they're sort of like a cheesy nostalgia factor. But they're not bad. Like, there is like it is well written and they're well made. I really at the end of Motocross was surprised when I thought to myself, wow, they don't make TV movies like this anymore, which is like such a I'm old. I'm so old. My bones are turning to dust (laughs) as I said that. But I really I mean, I feel like now you get it from like a Netflix movie, right? Like a made for streaming movie. But there was just something about it where like even like the commercial breaks that were in there were charming. But again, I also recognize that these movies were made for TV and they're not, you know, they don't have they're not of theatrical material. So no, 100 percent agree. So the plot of Brink, exclamation point. Andy is part of a collective of bladers that are his three best friends, Peter, Jordy, and Gabriella, who call themselves soul skaters because they skate for the love of the game and not the money, man. The rival group is headed by this guy named Val. Their team, I'm not going to say X-Blades because, look, there is no E. It's team, like, the letter X dash B-L-A-D-Z. Blods. Team X Blods. There's no fucking E, okay? I don't want this movie to gaslight me into thinking that it's pronounced X Blades. It's not. Put an E in there and then I'll say Blades. But it's Team X Blods. Anyway, they all go to high school together despite being bitter blader rivals. On the first day of school, they challenge each other to a blade baton race like you do on the first day without one teacher in sight. That was the most unbelievable parts. These kids are like jumping over lunch tables in the middle of the quad and not a single teacher's like, hey, get off of that shit. Like, are you kidding me? There's no they get far into this baton race. It's wild. Um, And in the process of this baton race, Boomer on the rival X-Blods team is injured. And Val doesn't even care. He's like, oh, you pussy. Just like, give me the baton so I can go. But Brinker, kind, gentle, labradoodle as he is, stops to help him and loses the race. And as a result of this chicanery, they're all suspended. Brink, instead of watching Jerry Springer or Oprah or some other daytime TV delight, discovers that his family is broke because his dad has been out of work due to a back injury, which same also but both of the movies that i talk about are rife with personal injury and i also want to back it up one more time the opening scene is so funny to me because this kid comes down the stairs and their parents are like "Ugh, brink what are you doing and like they treat him like <laughs> some delinquent and he's like then he's like hey little sis how's it going like dad how's the back all right mom you're gonna kill it today in real estate catch you later and they're like do you need a ride brink he's like no i got my blades and they're like "Ugh, what are we gonna do with him like they just i'm like this kid you couldn't have paid me to be that fucking polite at that age like it is insane that they act like he's like some big like i like he's just awful like he's like one of the girls from 13 or something i just found that whole thing to be so comical i'm like who are they reacting to right now oh my god Okay, so after Brink discovers that his family is, you know, not doing so well financially, he decides the best course of action is to join Team X-Blods for $200 a week as a replacement for Boomer, and he wants to keep it all a secret from everybody. Meanwhile, Mr. Brink is unaware that little Brink took this job because post-suspension he told Brink he's not allowed to skate anymore. So he gets Brink a part-time job at Pup and Suds, as you guessed it, a dog rumors. So at this point, this kid has three jobs and is also in high school. Just just a recap real this quick. This is some like dust bowl shit where like he's practically quitting high school at this point to support the family. It really feels like that. Like who I mean, I know who wrote it, but like, sir, how old are you? Like, why are you giving this high schooler three jobs? <laughs> So to recap, he has three jobs. Secret job one is with X-Blods, the evil team with Val and his long 90s boy band hair. Then we have the dog groomers. And then we have soul skaters, which isn't a job, but it's more like the time that he spends with his friends. But none of these other jobs or other friends know about X-Blods or else they would think that Brink is a sellout because, you know, soul skaters, as I mentioned before, are all about the love of the game and not the money. So Jordy, Gabrielle, and Peter discover that Brink is leading a double life while competing at a local invitational. Lots of invitationals in both of these movies once again. And team soul skaters are fractured upon learning this. It was a complete betrayal. So Brink leaves X-Blods back 
for soul skaters, but they don't want him either because they think he's a sellout. So in order for Brig to get back into X-Blods, he has to race in a downhill skate against the best character in the movie, Gabriella, our queen icon feminist legend. And Val is apparently a murderous little shit because he throws gravel in her path, causing her to take an extremely serious looking tumble. Like, uh, the way her legs bounce up and down, I'm like, how is her ACL still in one piece? Like, I've seen basketball players go down for less and break oh their God. entire body. 100%. And I, and I have to say, you know, she only ends up with a couple of scratches, which is why you wear a helmet. But helmet notwithstanding, like, I really feel like her legs, like something bad would have happened to her knees. Like, the fall is hard. And it goes on, Emily, for a very long time. Yes. This is okay. This happens in a couple of my movies. More on that later. Okay. So Brink goes to visit Gabriella to see if she's okay. And she calls him a sellout. And then at the same time, you know, in the, in the same span of this plot point, Mr. Brink finds out that little Brink is doing his little spawn con deal, even though he forbade him from roller skating ever again. At which point, Brink gives all of his gear back to Val and quits X-Blods for good. And this is the part where they famously get into a fight and Brink throws a vanilla milkshake in Val's face. So leading up to the main competition, Brink wins back his friends and a spot on Soul Skaters by getting his legit job, Pup and Subs, to sponsor them. And they give the whole team new blades and new helmets. Naturally, this movie must end with a showdown of good versus evil, or in this case, Val v. Brink. Though, technically, they both cheat at the downhill race. Brink wins in a photo finish. Also, apparently, ESPN is there, and they catch Val cheating on the course, which is, like, <laughs> the most random plot point where you're like, okay. I know Disney owns ABC and ESPN, but, like, do we really need to reiterate that at some minor inline skating event? ESPN also pops up in motocross. I'm like, how? Why are you here? All of it. All of it. <laughs> Anyway, Mr. Brink's back heels and he gets his job back and little Brink goes back to Soul Skaters with a new trophy win under their belt. The end. As for the cast, Eric Von Detten, a.k.a. Andy Brink Brinker, has most notably played Josh in The Princess Diaries and he is the voice of Sid in Toy Story. He is now, disappointingly, a sales manager at a commodities brokerage firm, which you're like, that is a turn I did not see coming. No, ma'am. Then we have Sam Horrigan, who played Val. Horrigan and Eric were both in Escape from Witch Mountain together three years before Brink. He was also in Little Giants. Mm -hmm. He was also in Little Giants. And then after that, like just a lot of TV, Desperate Housewives, Eight Simple Rules, Veronica Mars. He was acting up until 2016, but seems to be on a break. Then we have Christina Vidal, who plays Gabriella Delama. She's still a working actress, but you might also remember her as Lindsay Lohan's bandmate in Freaky Friday. She also had a show on Nickelodeon called Taina. Yes, and she was also in Welcome to the Dollhouse. She (gasps) is on a current show called United We Fall, which I want to say is on CBS. Yeah, that sounds about right. Right. It, that sounds like a CBSC show, right? It's either that or ABC, but I feel like I watch enough ABC in passing to know what some of their other shows are. And United We Fall doesn't doesn't track for that one. We also have Patrick Levis, who played Peter Calhoun. He was in So Weird with Von Detten. And in 2013, he released a Christian rock album called Extravagant God. Mm. <laughs> Had to put that in there. He still is acting as well, but that was the most interesting fact. Wow, that we wow, have, wow. Yep. We have Joey Simran, who played Arn, a.k.a. Worm. Currently, he is the vice president of MDDN, a music media company specializing in publishing music, mostly started by Good Charlotte, which I was like, okay. Then we have Asher Gold, who played Jordy. He is wiped from the internet. Don't know how you do that, but he is nowhere to be found. And then we have Walter Emanuel Jones, who plays Boomer, and he is best known for being the Black Ranger in the OG version of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. He's also still a current actor. Uh, He's one of those that guys that you see, character actors that you'll see all the time. I could have sworn even, I was like, why do I know this guy while rewatching Brink? And I was like, was he in the wedding planner for some reason? Like, I don't know. I had him like in the background as like a guest or a best man or something. But he is still acting. He's one of those people that has like 92 acting credits on IMDb. And you're like, wow, good for, good for you. Good for me. Like good working actor. That's good. Uh, And then the writer, Jeff Schnechter, he wrote Animorphs, the famous Jeff Jackson, and Totally Spies. And Greg Beeman started out directing 
License to Drive, which I thought was very interesting with the Corys. Mom and Dad Saved the World. And now he mostly is a career TV director and directs a lot of CW shows like Batgirl, Nancy Drew, and Charmed. And then there's somebody from Motocross who is a Nancy Drew series regular. So there's a lot of crossover in that. I would say, you know, from my watch notes and the behind the scenes, I'll kind of like roll them all together because there isn't really like, as we said, a ton there. Gabriella is the best, most progressive character for a 1998 TV movie. It rings true, especially some of like the crass shit that like Val says. You're like, bro, shut the fuck up. Like she handles them very well. And she's like, she has some comeback where she's like, talk to me again that way and I'll hand you a body part. And I was like, yeah, right. Get him. Um, And she has very much the vibe that kind of also that is the theme of essentially motocross, which is like um, anything boys can do, I can do better. And so I, I really love Gabriella. And also there's a lot of ska music in this movie. So I really thought that maybe oh, you maybe. should rewatch this, Emily, so much but ska. it's, so it's much un- ska. unlicensed ska music, which I was like, didn't know I needed this in my life. Oh, wonderful. And two quick things. Brie Larson auditioned for the role of Katie Brinker, the little sister. And this movie later had a video game come out based on it uh, called Brink. And it came out in 2011, which I thought was really odd because this movie's from 98. And then you waited all that time to release a game. Huh. Anyway, that's Brink! Exclamation point. I feel like Brink fits in nicely into talking about my first pick because... They're both movies uh, that are part of Disney's attempt to get in with the X Games crowd in the late 90s. They had Brink for skaters, Rip Girls for surfers. One of the movies you'll get into, Motocross or BMX. And if you're a surfer who finds themselves drawn to also get into snowboarding, Johnny Tsunami. (laughs) I'm realizing the two movies I picked today fit into the decom fish out of water trope. And in the case of Johnny Tsunami, the fish trades water for snow. So I guess it's just a different form of water. Um, Anyway, the plot of the movie is this. Johnny Capahala, played by Brandon Baker, lives in Hawaii with his mom, Melanie, played by Mary Page Keller, and Pete, played by Yuji Okumuto. You might remember Okumuto from the Karate Kid Part 2, where he plays Chosen Toguchi, the bad guy Daniel-san, has to fight in the final scene in Okinawa. He also appeared in this last season of Cobra Kai. Anyway, I digress. Johnny is super close with his grandfather, Johnny Tsunami, played by Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa. Johnny's grandfather is a legendary surfer who got his name from paddling out to save people during a crazy storm. He also has this tsunami medallion, which they apparently give out to the best surfer in Hawaii and the person who best exemplifies what surfing is all about. While the grandfather and grandson are close, they both can't seem to get along with Pete, who's more straight-laced than they are. Parents just don't understand. Pete gets transferred for his job where he'll be implementing software to prep school on the East Coast, and Johnny has to leave his grandfather, chill friends, and is surfing in Hawaii for cold winters in Vermont. By the way, Johnny's parents tell him this and it's like, oh, by the way, we're moving in a week. It's all been arranged. There's not a single fucking box in this house, Margo. I don't know what the (laughs) fuck is going on. I assume movers are coming for them. You know, we like all of this will be done in a week, apparently. I mean, I know professional movers exist, but I I'm a little shocked. I'm a little shocked. It's a bit much, especially, you know, moving like our one bedroom apartments. We're like, oh, my God, this takes forever. But you're moving like a home with children in it. And like, it takes a week. You're like, what? What is this parenting? That doesn't happen. In Vermont, Johnny finds out that the town he lives in has two schools, the private school, Skyline Academy, where everyone is a skier and they're known as the Skies, and then the public school, Maple Valley, where everyone snowboards and they're known as the Urchins. At his school, there's like a West Side Story vibe going on here. Um, At his school, he meets and befriends the headmaster's daughter, Emily, played by Kirsten Storms in her first post scene on Disney Channel original movie. But ultimately, the kids at Johnny's new school are kind of dicks, especially Brett, played by Zachary Bostrom, who immediately starts making fun of him for being from Hawaii. And given how white this school is, the comment about this being America and him needing to speak English makes me think Brett now works for Fox News. Brett has a thing for Emily, and because he's likely now an incel, he gets mad that Emily speaks to another boy and immediately hates Johnny. After an unsuccessful first attempt at skiing with his private school classmates, which, by the way, they're all wearing the same yellow parka and have the same navy motif on their hats and headbands. I think, again, West Side Story gang angle is going on here, but like everybody's dressed the same. 
Anyway, Johnny feels like skiing is never going to be his thing, but luckily the next day he rides the bus home and befriends Sam, played by the late Lee Thompson Young, RIP, one of the urchins, and finds out about these unspoken rules that, like, the whole town will erupt if, God forbid, one of the private school kids picks up a snowboard. Johnny doesn't care and convinces Sam to teach him how to snowboard, which is accompanied by a montage of, you guessed it, ska punk music that is all sorts of public domain goodness. Eventually, Johnny gets better at snowboarding, but everyone is up in arms now that he's a snowboarder and Johnny and Emily get in trouble when he tries to teach her how to snowboard and she nearly falls off the mountain, which much like your injury you talked about with Brink, like this girl should be dead. First off, like how is she just like she keeps tumbling down this mountain and it just keeps tumbling and tumbling like she should be like, I don't want to say like Sonny Bono dead, but like. She oh should God. be heavily injured at this point. Again, I know that was a terrible thing to say, but I just mean in the sense that like this would have been a paralyzing injury at least. Right. I mean, I've had a friend fall while snowboarding and it was a less severe fall and she broke her wrist in like three places. So, yeah, no, I'm with you. Like you shouldn't just be like pop right up and be like, I'm cool. It's like I'm scared of winter sports. Yes. <laughs> yes. High risk. Very. So the urchins later sneak onto the skyline side of the mountain, which has better runs. And this is where we find out the urchins motto, go big or go home. When they're caught by Brett and the douchebags, a fight ensues and Johnny is the only one to get in trouble for an off campus fight, which doesn't really make sense. But anyway, that happens. To add to all the crap that he's dealing with at school, Johnny finds out Sam's dad got a promotion and they're set to move to Iceland. By the way, this is the first time I've ever heard of the U.S. military being in Iceland. Um, And Johnny gets into a fight with his dad when he says it's for the best and that he should give up on snowboarding. Johnny and Sam decide to run away to Hawaii to stay with Johnny's grandpa by flying via sneaking on a military cargo plane on the military base where Sam lives because this is pre-9-11 America and no one cares. Pete, like a good father, calls up his dad and is like, put these kids back on a plane home. And grandpa's like, nah, I'll let them take their time and get to a place where they're willing to go home. And then the mom is like, I miss the way you used to be before you were a corporate zombie. Like, I get it. The dad can be a stiff at times, but like he has reason to be concerned in this case. Everybody is acting insane. It is wild times. Again, this movie was very enjoyable, but like there are some little plot points where I'm just like, really? Really? The sneaking onto a plane thing. Well, I guess, you know, there's that lady who keeps sneaking onto planes all the time, that stowaway. I mean, maybe it's easier than we think. But you got to think with the military, they'd be more on their shit. 100%. Being military and all. Like, why are we giving you billions of dollars to let little teens sneak onto your fucking plane? Like, give me my money back. Uh, once grandpa and grandson have had a heartwarming talk where lots of sur- surfing metaphors are used about navigating the big waves in life, Johnny Well, you know what? <laughs> we definitely can't talk about our feelings, so we got to talk about waves instead. Duh. Of course. Duh. Johnny and Sam decide to go home, and Johnny's tsunami comes back with them to visit. More heart-to-hearts happen between both fathers and sons, and everything is good in the world. In the final showdown, the urchins with Grandpa Johnny decide to ride the skier's side of the mountain again, where Brett and the cast of Fox and Friends are ready to meet him. Brett and Johnny race for the mountain, basically meaning if Johnny wins, urchins will be able to snowboard on the skyline runs. But if Brett wins, he gets Grandpa Johnny's tsunami medal, which like... You know, if I'm Brett, like, fuck that guy. But I also would feel like this is a shitty deal. Like, he just gets a medal that probably means nothing to him, considering he doesn't give a shit about surfing. But I digress. Um, Pete encourages Johnny to win the race to keep this medal in the family. Johnny wins despite Brett's attempts at cheating. Everyone rejoices. And then there's a big celebration party where Emily and Johnny slow dance. And that's really the end of Johnny's tsunami. But I should note... Uh, a little bit of a minor side plot and the behind the scenes. So there's a minor side plot where we learn that like the ski board shop and the snowboard shop at each slope are owned by two guys who look a lot of like, and we later find out at the end of the movie that they're twin brothers. And they're in fact, the original sky and urchin because their family owns the mountain 
And after their parents divorced and the dad died, they didn't know what to do. So they inherited this mountain, split it into two resorts and have now decided to reconcile as a result of all of this and have a resort where everyone will be able to access whatever part of the mountain they want. So it just kind of brings, it's like we hear, we see little bits and pieces. We meet these minor characters for about two seconds in each segment, but then we finally like, we, we don't care about them until like an hour later when we hear about them again at, at this party. It's it's just very last minute um, and just kind of weird context that I feel like the script writers threw in to give us like a reason behind all of this. But uh, behind the scenes, the movie was directed by Steve Boyum, who in addition to being... Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Director of Meet the Deedles, Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire and Stepsister from Planet Weird, has also directed a number of TV show episodes and is also an actor and stunt performer. It was written by Ann Knapp and Douglas Sloan, both best known for being co-producers on several of the Power Rangers spinoffs, and for Knapp in particular, being a producer on a lot of the CGI Barbie TV shows that have aired in the last decade. Wait, what last name do you have for her? Uh, so she actually changed her. So back then she wrote it under Ann Knapp. Okay, because now her credits are um, Ann Austin. Yes, yes. Okay. So she, she, I think, got married between now and then. Um, I mean, she's totally allowed to do that, but I just wanted to make sure I wasn't going insane. So I was like, I have a totally different name that I'm going to read next, and I just want to make sure we are talking about the same person. Same person. This movie was released on July 24th, 1999, and was nominated for in 2000 for the Humanitas Prize in Children's Live Action, which I was... I mean, this is a fun movie, but, like, not really groundbreaking by any means. Um... I should also point out that there was a sequel to this movie that Disney decided to make in 2007, much like your Brink video game, way too late in the game. Um, it was called Johnny Capahala Back on Board. Uh, I should note that they Beckied Sam in the sequel, and he's played by a different actor than Lee Thompson Young. And Disney also pulled the stunt in Zine on the sequel where they recast Nebula, but then in the third movie recast Raven in the role of Nebula again. Anyway, that movie had a viewership of about 1.3 million people. Surprisingly, considering like this movie, people who are watching the Disney Channel in 2007 were not, you know, uh, original fans of Johnny Tsunami. But in terms of where are they now, uh, really, the one star I wanted to focus on was Brandon Baker, um, Johnny Capahala. He retired from acting in 2015 and actually became a wedding officiant for the company Simply Eloped. I checked out his Instagram and he's posted a bunch of photos with the couples he's officiated for in the past. And he actually recently made an appearance on Christy Carlson Romano's TV show on YouTube, Christy's Kitchen Throwbacks, where many other former Disney Channel stars have made appearances. And that is Johnny Tsunami. There are a lot of retired Disney actors. Yes. <clears throat> and I'm going to talk about some more of them now that we are talking about Motocross, which came out in 2001, uh, February of 2001, I should say. And it is the 26th Disney Channel original movie about a girl from a motocross family whose father forbids her from practicing the sport. 
Another loose adaptation, this time from William Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, and watching it again, I was actually most struck by how much it has in common with She's the Man, which came out later in 2006. They both are set with high school-aged siblings at the center. Andrea and Modia Cross has a twin brother that she's swapping with. Both use sports as a catalyst. Both exchange dating tips with their crush for lessons in their chosen sport. And both movies are less about being feminine means you're weak and more about anything boys can do, I can do just the same or better. And, but I have to, oh, sorry. Anything boys can do, I can do, but better, I just have to pretend to be a guy to be respected. They also share some of the same DNA with Mulan in both movies too, but we don't really need to get into that. So the plot of Motocross, if you haven't seen it in a long time, which I do recommend rewatching it because, again, I think this movie kind of holds up, especially like in theme, even though the dad is kind of like verging on lifetime villainy at times with like, I forbid you, like be a 15 year old girl like this isn't for girls. But, you know, in looking at the world around us, it's like, yeah, I guess there are still a lot of antiquated thought processes. And so it's not. It's not hard to believe that this is probably happening to some 15-year-old somewhere. Anyway, twins, Andrea, sorry, twins, Andrea and Andrew, who both go by Andy, Andy with an I for the girl and a Y for the dude, both love motocross racing, but only Andrew gets to race because of the sexist patriarch in the family, Edward, wants Andrea to focus on non-dangerous, quote-unquote, girl things instead of racing. She's a cheerleader in the beginning. One day, while their parents are out of the house, Andrea and Andrew decide to have a friendly race on the family track, which, in rewatching this movie, okay, their front yard is essentially a motocross track, which just yes! means it's a ton of fucking dirt. And, like, and those things are so loud. I would how, be. How are you selling mom, a house? How are you selling this fucking house one day? Well, you're not. I, I guess my question is not are you selling it? How did you, where did you? find it like what was the cell like what part of it did you buy the land and then you built the house on top of it and then you made the track like the whole geography of this house kind of reminds me of that did you watch talking cat with us on bad movie night i did i did okay so talking horse has the se- or sorry talking dog has a sequel called talking horse and that house kind of looks like the motocross house so i don't know i just it is one of those things where like it's just a giant dirt front yard you're like is it a farm like is that how it started either way these kids and and it's so close to the front of the house like the bike, just like people who live like on golf courses, get golf balls thrown through their window all the time or golf clubs found in weird places. Like, aren't you afraid of some fucking motocross bike coming through your fucking window? I don't know. I The forethought. Again, the geography, the forethought, the I don't know. Who's the adult here? Why would you have it so close? Whatever. I Whatever. <laughs> Back to this race on the family track while racing. Andrew loses control of his bike. And he gets thrown off the course and crashes through a fence and hurts his knee as a result, which makes him now unable to race, not for pardons like in Fast and Furious, but for a corporate sponsorship. Edward decides that it's too late to find a writer in the U.S., so he goes to Europe to scout new talent. And Andrea chops off all her hair and starts to pose as her brother with him reluctantly coaching her. Eventually, mom finds out and she gets on board under the condition that Andrea is only going to keep competing to keep them in the game because somehow the cup races were moved up two weeks, which, again, like the scammery. It's like, OK, fine, I'll suspend my disbelief here. But like, I don't think that like giant races with lots of people involved just suddenly move it up two weeks was like no notice. Like, oh, it's starting tomorrow. Like, bye. I don't think that, that happens. But for the sake of this movie, I shall pretend. Anyway, so they're going to keep competing just to keep them in the game and then once edward gets back with this new talent they'll let the new writer take over i think the best part of this movie is when andrea totally bombs her first two heats of her race like she is completely out of her element like she's run off the course she gets thrown off her bike she like literally sits there feeling like she's in the way and i thought that that was probably the most effective montage because i feel like in some of these sport movies it's like they're supposed to be bad and then get better but they were not that bad to begin with and it's more like they just need more confidence whereas like she just seems really bad like it's almost like she had never ridden a bike before even though we clearly see her doing doing that in her um in the opening with her brother anyway uh competitor dean talon takes notice of andrea as andy with a y because andrea's trailer is besieged with women because her mom is giving out manicures to pass the time uh, even though Andrea totally biffed it. Like, 125 riders shouldn't be attracting all of these women, bro. 
They eventually realized that they could help each other. Andrea could give Dean advice on how to bag his boss's daughter, and Dean could help Andrea get back, get better on the track. Enter a cool bike riding montage where Andrea fully, where Andrea jumps fully clothed into a river when Dean takes his shirt off. Uh, 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 <clears throat> so Andrea is finally racing and getting so much better, and she finally places third overall and first in her heat. And that's when Daddy Edwards comes to shit on everything, replacing his own daughter with some phony Frenchman named Rene oh, Cartier. Okay, <laughs> do you remember in the early aughts when French people were some sort of exotic brand of white? <laughs> I don't know why this was a trend, I, but there was always like, and we yes. t- kind of talked about it with Slapper She's French. Like, yes, I don't know. There would be like, ooh, we need something exotic but non-threatening. Let's make them French. It was Let's just such a strange French. trend. As as a fellow Frenchie, like we I, we got to talk about this. Like this also happens in Passport to Paris, where they cast two American dudes to play French guys and like aggressively French guys, like Pepe Le Pew gone human French guys. Like they got the kid who plays Spock on the new Star Trek TV show on CBS All Access, and he is like trying this weird, exaggerated French accent. Like it is the weirdest choice that so many of these low budget movies made. Well, Michael Cunha, who plays Rene Cartier, his accent was so fucked up, I literally had to rewind it to confirm that he's French because I thought he was Dutch. And and I know I was doing the Brink research before, but like still his accent is like all over the place and it makes no fucking sense to me. And he really is just kind of creepy more than anything. So after a bunch of off-putting, creepy, non-French behavior... Ending with him literally shoving Andrea, Rene is fired mid-race and Edward lets Andrea race for their team. In the final race, like Brink, we need another good versus evil showdown. Luckily for us, Cartier works as hard as Chris Jenner and has already landed on her crush's team, Art Henderson. Also at this point, Dean and his boss's daughter have broken up and she has gotten together with Cartier. People move quick in the motocross circuit. Get with it. <laughs> When Andrea finishes first, Cartier is a fucking little narc and throws her under the bus and tries to disqualify her because he's a sore loser. But the final ruling comes down to Barbara Rawlings, the CEO of the corporate sponsorship, and also Mark Curry's boss. She sides with Andrea, giving her not only the title win, but the spawn con too. Obviously, Dean is learning this all in real time, and he is hurt that she didn't trust him enough to tell him what was really going on. But in the end, he forgives her in the form of challenging her to a race. And you see them writing that ill-begotten track at the front of her house together into the sunset the end so as emily kind of already had mentioned this movie shares the same team behind johnny tsunami and as you'd said steve boyum is a former stuntman turned director and his first disney movie was johnny tsunami and after um sorry after Mom's Had a Date with a Vampire, he did Slapshot 2, which you did. I don't know if you mentioned that, which I thought was very funny. I did not, but I, I, I had seen that. So thank you for mentioning it. Mm-hmm. And then I don't need to go into Anne Austin slash Knapp and Doug Sloan. But as we were saying, the cast, um, they're mostly TV regulars. A lot of the kids actually don't even act anymore. Andy retired. Andy with an I retired from acting and went to USC for pre-med. Then the mom, Mary Margaret Humes, is like a Hallmark movie staple. Mark Curry makes a brief appearance. He's Mark Curry. Riley Smith, who plays Dean Talon, whose biggest credit pre-motocross is as Tim in Bring It On. But now he's a series regular on Nancy Drew with the director from Brink. Scott Tara, who plays a little brother that was actually funny. Usually the little brother role in a Disney movie means this kid is fucking irritating and you want them to just be quiet and just go along with the plan. This kid was actually quite funny and I really appreciated some of his comedic timing. His last credit was in 2006 when he played young Ben Affleck in Daredevil. (laughs) And just one quick little behind the scenes tidbit. So Alana Austin, who plays Andy with an eye, was under the impression that the big scene where she cuts her hair off to look like her brother was going to be a wig. Turns out, JK, it's not. Oh, so she no. had to actually cut her hair for the part. But I actually think it, when she wears it like a boy, I think she convincingly pulls off the boy look. Totally. When she wears it like more styled and quote unquote girly, she looks fine. So like it was a pretty versatile haircut for something that honestly, when it's in boy form, you're like, oof, that's like such a 2001 like Every boy in my middle school had that haircut kind of look, but I digress. I really enjoyed a rewatch of motocross as well. It 
also makes me want to watch She's the Man, which I think is still on HBO. Ooh, that's a great rewatch. Um, I'll definitely have to recheck out uh, Motocross. I do remember reading, um, I think it was like a BuzzFeed article that someone had done like rankings of decom by queerness. And I'm pretty sure like Motocross came in at number one. It was like a lesbian awakening for many people, which I thought was very sweet. Um, and actually my movie that I'm about to talk about was very high up there as well. And that is, of course, Cadet Kelly. The Disney version of G.I. Jane. One, well, it is the Disney version of G.I. Jane, but it's also what you get when you cross G.I. Jane with Private Benjamin and Legally Blonde. And this is, of course, the launching point movie for uh, Hilary Duff and marked her second starring role in a movie, the first being Casper Meets Wendy, the direct-to-video uh, movie from the 90s. So Hilary Duff plays Kelly Collins, an artsy city girl living in New York with her single mom, Samantha, played by Linda Cash. Kelly attends the very famous New York Middle School of the Arts. That's totally a real school. We establish very quickly. As as real as our chances of getting into Juilliard. <laughs> 100%. We establish very quickly that this school has likely no grades and assignments are very vague, as is evidenced by the ribbon dancing number Kelly's best friend Amanda, played by Sarah Gaydon, choreographs and what we open to in this movie. Kelly's parents are divorced, but things are pretty amicable with her dad, played by Nigel, Nigel Hamer, who's a filmmaker and shoots all over the world. Kelly's mom and her boyfriend Joe, played by Gary Cole, who, by the way, Kelly has decided to call Sir, which just feels weird and power dynamic-y and just, like, kind of freaks me out. But um, anyway, they announce their engagement to Kelly, and she's completely down with this until the day before the wedding, which is the time they decide to inform her that the family will be moving upstate to the Hudson Valley and that she will be enrolling in the George Washington Military Academy, where he has just been made the commandant. So Kelly has to trade her fedoras and feathers for fatigues or her clogs for combat boots or her camisoles for camo. And yes, I had to get these corny lines in because I watched enough Disney Channel promos doing the research for this, that you know someone wrote this on a pad somewhere in a writer's room. Kelly arrives at the military school and sticks out like a sore thumb, as is evidenced by the hush whispers when she first steps into the barracks with her non-military garb outfit. She has to get used to a uniform, military time, early morning wake-up call, strict military hierarchy, and all of the various things that come with the military life. On top of that, she makes an enemy pretty quickly with one of the school officers, Cadet Captain Jennifer Stone, played by Christy Carlson Romano, who's credited as Christy Romano, which I don't get because in everything else she is, Christy Carlson Romano, hell, her cameo uh, uh, page is Christy Carlson Romano. So I don't know what was going on there. Maybe she's trying to be taken more seriously. Anyway, she kind of plays like the Eileen Brennan role from Private Benjamin, and she's the one who's in charge of the group of cadets in Kelly's uh, kind of age bracket, if you will. Captain Stone is immediately not a fan of Kelly, and get, that gets further escalated when she befriends Cadet Major Brad Rigby, played by pre-X-Men Sean Ashmore. I think this is pre-X-Men. Maybe it's like after the first movie. I, I think it might be like right after the first movie. Uh, but like... Sean Asmore was like 23 when this was filmed, which is weird because he's playing 16 and like Hillary Duff is 13 play or 15 playing a 13 year old. And Christy Carlson Romano was like 16 playing a 15. Like it's just the age gaps. It's all weird. Anyway, Captain Stone has a big crush on Cadet Major Rigby and Kelly pisses her off when she beats her to getting to Brad on the field one day to like flirt salute with him or whatever you want to call the method she takes to assert her dominance. Like they're literally speed walking to get to this guy first. And then Kelly just like Cadet Kelly just like salutes him. It's very strange. It's like, I don't know if this is how flirting is at military school, but anyway. Luckily, over time, she makes a friend in Carla, her bunkmate, played by a pre Grassi, Andrea Lewis, who helps her learn the ropes literally and figuratively. It isn't enough, however, to uh, pass through with Captain Stone's constant targeting of Kelly, always referring to her as maggot, confiscating or destroying her pre-military school accessories and belongings, and punishing her when she can't complete an obstacle course by keeping her from going to the big dance until she redoes it. 
Kelly doesn't help this relationship in turn when she ruins Captain Stone's white dress at the dance after accidentally stumbling on some mud, sliding down this hill, which much like our Brink girl and our uh, Johnny Tsunami girl, like the, in, in both these cases, Hillary Duff should be severely injured at this point. She's just tumbling down or her some stunt double is tumbling down this very high hill that just slides her into straight into like a hall where they're having the dance. And she like runs into Christy Carlson Romano and just like ruins her dress with her like mud covered fatigues. Anyway, needless to say, Captain Stone is super pissed off about this. And as payback for the dress, sees one of Kelly's pre-military school blankets during inspection and rips it to shreds. And this is when we get into kind of like the borderline hazing. But I should say that throughout this whole thing, you know, Kelly decides that she doesn't want to get uh, tell her headmaster stepdad what's going on. And because one, she wants to take matters into her own hands. But two, she also finds out that she her mom is expecting a baby. And so she is about to be have a step brother or sister. So as revenge for the blanket, Kelly pulls some parent trap Cap Walden shenanigans and paints Captain Stone's hair in the middle of the night the same bat pattern as this rainbow blanket. Kelly gets court-martialed and is found guilty, and as punishment, she needs to take care of the drill team uniforms. When she used, While she used to see the team as looking like a bunch of robots, she's grown to liking the drill team, decides she wants to try out. Um, and with some help from Gloria, another friend she makes at military school, she's able to fine-tune her skills and makes it on the team. One day, Kelly starts to follow the moves that Captain Stone is practicing for the drill team. And then they begin this weird like dance off that's like a military break dance off. It's very, it's all very strange. Uh, drill off, like whatever you want to call it. Anyway, Cadet Major Rigby, the guy, suggests, sees this and suggests that the two of them should develop this into a routine for their upcoming regionals. Kelly is excited to know that her dad will actually be able to attend this competition because he's filming on location nearby, but he never shows up the day of and she gets a cutoff voicemail prompting her to worry about her dad's safety. So she and her stepdad, aka Sir, go to where her dad's supposed to be and find that he's fallen down a cliff. Using her obstacle course skills, she's able to go down by rope and stay with him as they wait for help to arrive. They're able to get back in competition just in time to find out in like convenient Disney Channel original movie timing that the only way they can win is by doing the routine that Kelly and Captain Stone have been working on. They end up placing in second when Captain Stone is finally able to admit that Kelly is the reason why they were able to succeed. We find out that Captain Stone is moving away because her dad is being transferred, so they won't be able to continue their success as a team. But she does hope that Kelly will be a cadet captain one day so that she can deal with a maggot like her. So behind the scenes of Cadet Kelly, it was directed by Larry Shaw, who's best known for being one of the main directors for several Lizzie McGuire episodes and a producer of Desperate Housewives. It was written by Gail Parent, best known for writing the screenplays of the Barbara Streisand movie, The Main Event, and the screenplay for Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, as well as being for being a writer on The Carol Burnett Show and Golden Girls. It was also co-written by Michael Walsh, who's best known for being a nonfiction writer and, according to IMDb, a regular on Fox News and uh, a writer for the Donny Osmond version of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. This was the second DCOM filmed in Canada, mostly at the Robert Land Academy, a military school in Wellandport, Ontario, along with a few other private schools. And Hilary Duff was actually made an honorary cadet sergeant at this school during the production. The movie premiered March 8, 2002 and drew in a viewership of 7.8 million people, a record at the time for Disney Channel original movies that wasn't broken until High School Musical aired in 2006. It should also be noted, I mentioned this a little bit earlier before I started, that many old millennials like us um, have written think pieces about how this movie serves as a metaphor for queerness and having to deal with people who try to suppress others' queer identities. And there are also several people who have shipped Kelly and Captain Stone, um, thinking that, yeah, they're like flirt fighting over this guy, but ultimately they are the real love story in this movie. Um that's really all I have for Cadet Kelly. Most of you already know the trajectory of Hilary Duff's career. But really, before we end it for today, I wanted to ask you, Margo, what is your favorite Disney Channel original movie? So I was reminded while watching these for this episode of um, Double Team, which is like <gasps> the twins that play basketball. Yes. 
I wouldn't say it's my favorite because I really do think Xenon is my absolute favorite. And the reaction I had when I found out that a roommate from college, his girlfriend, her father wrote it, like, was the most high-pitched scream I've been able to manage, you know, in the longest time. So Xenon, I think, is my ultimate. But I definitely remember a lot of, like, the female-centered sports stories I thought were really fun and compelling, like, as a girl who had to play on like the women's basketball team. But the first time I played on a co-ed team, I immediately broke my finger, but that <laughs> pushed aside. Um, it was, I felt like all of like the female centered movies around sports. I always really dug. I thought that the vibe was always very positive. I really loved motocross. Like I remember watching that more than once, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but it would probably have to be like Xenon, maybe double team, and then motocrossed because like I can't really think of I mean I really did like Johnny Tsunami and I have to say that that movie definitely like inspired me to try snowboarding a sport I fucking hate and also you know made me realize I don't like winter sports um I can't say that I've ever had a bad time watching like a Disney Channel original but it's definitely Xenon is my number one girl Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would say Xenon is definitely up there for me. Um, I also really love Double Team as well and frequently rewatched it because I, though terrible at basketball, did play basketball. It was one of the few sports I ever like fully played. So um, I oh, definitely. Yeah. I wasn't trying to imply that I was good at it. No, no. <laughs> I was just. But you could relate to said, it. I wasn't a surfer. Yeah. I I wasn't going to be, you know, relating to mo- BMXing, but but like, yeah, I, I, I definitely related to Double Teamed. And especially in rewatching Brink, like everywhere that they were skating or places that I've been skating or riding a bike or whatever. So it was actually kind of even nice. Like there was a scene where they bike past this hot dog shack, essentially, that's like a bright red hot dog shack. And I've gotten many a soda there with my dad. And it was just nice to see it on film. I'm sure Santa Monica doesn't really remember, doesn't really look the way I remember it to look. And so just to even have that, like I said, time capsule feel, I think... That's why a lot of these movies kind of hold up for me. <laughs> totally. There was one other that I thought of, which was a drama, which is kind of rare for the decom world. But mm-hmm. they, um, I really liked the color of friendship, which was the movie about apartheid. Oh, yeah. A little serious, but I feel like it was really well done. And at the time, as a like sixth grader, I think was sixth or seventh grade. I mean, it was like, it explained apartheid very well to yes. someone who like, I did not know that it happened at the time, by the time I was like 11, 12 or whenever this came out. And I thought they did an excellent job explaining it and actually was really helpful when down the line, I had to read several books in middle school and later high school about apartheid. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I watched it independently. And then I do believe I watched it in a history class. They're like, we don't know how to explain this. So watch this Disney movie. It's, but it's what would you say up. your number one is? Ooh, I mean, it's probably Xenon and a close second being like color friendship or smart house to be honest i almost switched over to because i oh, really smart house is fun it's a lot of fun and it was written the by the same the guy directed it also directed xenon and he basically says that the stuff in xenon like recent interviews xenon and smart house he's like this inspired the ai technology you see today <laughs> i mean definitely i i put on i also I am also very charmed by Mom Has a Date with a Vampire. Mm-hmm, I am mm-hmm. really charmed by that. Around Halloween, I kind of like put it on in the background just because it's not it's not an amazing movie, but it's a, it's a pretty fun little ha- hour and a half long romp. Um, but yeah, I in rewatching Smart House, just kind of having it on in the background, I, I was very struck by like the, I believe it's like the fridge and even just like the AI voice, like so much of it felt really prescient. I was like, oh, I don't like this at all. Like there are scary movies about this now. 100%. And, but I, and the also was interesting for me that they got the pull that they got. They were able to get Katie Seagal um, to play. I know. Janet, I believe is her name. Um, or it's not, maybe it is. Is it Janet? Like I'm thinking of the good place, but I actually think her name might be Janet in this movie as well. <laughs> But anyway, they were able to get every once in a while, like every three or so movies, they get a pretty big celeb pull to be like a parent in the movie or like, Mm -hmm. you know, another character like um, the mom in motocross was the mom on Dawson's Creek. That's like, I think what I remember her most from. Oh, you're right. Yeah, Yeah. I totally glossed over that because I just wanted to see if she was still acting today because there were so many of the kid actors that are retired now. But she had also looked extremely familiar, but I couldn't put my finger on it. But you're right. Yeah, she's the mom from Dawson's Creek. My bad. Thanks for pointing that out. 
Yeah, no worries. Well, that really concludes it for today. Uh, Thanks again for listening to our podcast. If you like what you've heard, you can check out our other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitched, Audible Podcasts, Pocket Casts, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. The best way always to stay up to date on our latest episodes is to subscribe to our podcast. And while you are hitting that subscribe button, and if there is a place to leave a review, leave us a rating and a review. We love to see what you have to say. Additionally, we are on social media, so you can always check us out on Instagram or at Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And individually, you can find us on Twitter. I am at Emily A. Beijen. And I am at Margs, she wrote. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.